episode 130 of the Gabots Podcast. I'm your host, Eric, and this is my co-host. It's Christian. On this week's episode, we watched the movie R.I.P.D. Christian finished Spider-Man's New Game Plus on PlayStation 4, as well as the story on Spider-Man Miles Morales. We have some new book uh, sale news, as well as general television news. But first, Christian, you and I both watched R.I.P.D. this week for the movie, and I gotta say... I don't want to give away what it was given on Rotten Tomatoes, but I completely <laughs> disagree with it, and I I really enjoyed this movie. Yeah, I watched it, I guess, back in 2016 when it was first in theaters, and I remember not hating it, not thinking it was the greatest thing in the world, but definitely coming away entertained. And That's pretty much the way I felt again today. Yeah, this is what I thought it would be. I wanted to see this in 2013, never got around to it, and then... I saw it was on HBO Max, and I was like, oh yeah, I definitely want to watch this this week. Uh, this is directed by Robert Schwenke, who I didn't recognize anything else he directed, and then stars Jeff Bridges, Ryan Reynolds, Kevin Bacon, Mary Louise Parker, and Stephanie Sostak. Uh, but really, this is this is a buddy cop movie between Jeff Bridges and Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, absolutely. And it works. Like, it weirdly works really well. Yeah, I, I honestly, if they had just had more Jeff Bridges and Ryan Reynolds, this would have been, I think, a better movie. Like, the biggest, I think the closest comparison, and it's just, like, blatantly similar <laughs> in some scenes, is this is just, am I, like, Men in Black, but with ghosts instead. That's exactly what it is. There is one scene where he accepts the job, and they go into, like, the workroom that's supposed to be, like, the police precinct or whatever for the afterlife and it just felt like men in black where it, it looks almost exactly like the same scene where it's like you got this long shot you walk through he shows everything like i could not believe how close this is to men in black yeah it's i mean it's it's all like white metal and glass it's like an apple store yeah right uh quickly what is the uh general plot on this uh, Ryan Reynolds is killed almost immediately uh, by his partner, who is Kevin Bacon, and they're both kind of dirty cops. And then instead of getting sent to be judged, he gets scooped up by the like ghost police and recruited to be a member of the RIPD to like apprehend ghosts that are trying to stay in the the real world. And in the you know like normal order of doing business doing that they uncover a conspiracy to like cause the apocalypse right this is also similar to men in black too because this is adapted from a comic book and i, I went and looked it up it looked like dark horse published then and i could only find eight issues so it doesn't seem like it was the the largest comic book run but men in black was also a comic book which i don't know if a lot of people realized i didn't know that until this very moment yeah, it was like some indie 90s comic book. I never read it. I, I, I didn't know about it until I saw, like, I watched, like, a comic book YouTube channel who does <laughs> random things. And I was like, oh, wow, that makes sense because that does seem like a comic book-type movie once you know that. But yeah, uh, just another similarity between these. And I got to say, like, this doesn't feel like a modern movie to me. I know it's 2013, but this feels like something that, like, it feels like a comic book movie in the sense that, like, I think this would have came out in the mid-2000s during the comic book, like, indie comic book movie boom. Like, this feels like Constantine, kind of, to me. <laughs> I know yeah, I mean, really the, indie, but, like, you know. The CG certainly doesn't feel like 2013. Oh, man, the CG is by far the worst part about this movie, I think. Yeah, it, it was dated even by, you know, early odd standards. It's not particularly good. It was. Do you think it was a 3D movie or something like that? Maybe that's why it looks so bad. I have, I have no idea how it looks. It, it is in the opening been. scene too, with like that obese ghost, and it yeah. just looks terrible. Yeah, yeah, I, that really does set the tone for basically the whole movie. So, uh, <laughs> I feel like a lot of this talking talking about this is going to be is going to be me saying how awesome I thought Jeff Bridges was in this. <laughs> And I fully agree. I think he carried this movie. Uh, he is by far the best, like, has the best performance. Like, Ryan Reynolds, Ryan Reynolds good in it, but it doesn't feel like Ryan Reynolds. 
Yeah, that's what I have in my notes. This is Ryan Reynolds at um, one of his least Ryan Reynoldsy. He's not very like quippy and sarcastic. He's the more straight laced character to J- Jeff Bridges, who carries most of the humor. Which is not a position Reynolds is usually in. The only times he has humor is really when he's talking to Jeff Bridges. Otherwise, he is completely the straight man. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a weird place for him to be. Like I've seen Ryan Reynolds in non comedic roles. They are rare. Uh, but like I, I watched, I'm, I'm one of like the 25 people that watch the nines. Um, I have no idea what that is. <laughs> it is a deeply weird movie that has Melissa McCarthy from before she was anybody. Uh, but it, yeah, there was this run of movies where Ryan Reynolds took more like, I guess, low budget, uh, like dramatic roles. And so it was. The Nines and Chaos Theory and definitely Maybe was in there. That's that's kind of a comedy. And then this is in right in that same kind of era for him. So yeah, it's it's strange watching him play the straight man after seeing like two Deadpools and New Guy or Free Guy. I will say like this seems to be the like right if I had a like who know I wasn't really watching movies as closely as I do now. But to me, Ryan Reynolds' renaissance was in 2016 when he played Deadpool. Other than that, like, it seemed like he was just kind of meandering about uh, other than from, like, being, sorry, from his comedy days from, like, his 2000s movies. But I don't, maybe I'm wrong on that. No, I mean, that's that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm, I'm looking at his IMDb right now, and you've got, yeah, you've got, like, Just Friends and Waiting, and both in 2005, which are both great, but they're, like, deeply comedic. And Van Wilder in 2002. And then, yeah, there's this weird string of kind of straight roles. He's, I mean, before... Green, Green Lantern occurs in 2011. Yeah. Uh, before The Proposal, I think, was one of his first returns to, like, real comedy. And then, <laughs> yeah, that would have been in 2009. Which is crazy, because once he hit Deadpool, like, he once again became one of the biggest names in Hollywood because I don't know. It seems like quippy action stars have become very popular again. And that's, you know, he made his way into fast and the fast and furious franchise, the the side one, but still in that franchise, (laughs) he was, he recently was in red notice with a rock, which it's just Ryan Reynolds being Ryan Reynolds. He played Deadpool. I mean, it seems like he has had a lot more, uh, I want to say success because it's never like he was successful, but like higher profile movies, bigger box office movies since, yeah. uh, and RIPD was really in one of the low points for him. <laughs> uh, yeah. He is in a movie called paper man that came out in this weird era where he plays a imaginary superhero that Jeff Daniels dreams up and he has bleach blonde hair and he looks terrifying. That I didn't realize. I forgot he was also in Detective Pikachu. Completely forgot about that. Oh yeah, we have done a few Ryan Reynolds movie. He was in Six. Do <laughs> Un- you remember Six Underground? Oh, vaguely. <laughs> Free Guy, which I saw this summer. <laughs> I forgot. I forgot about. So yeah, uh, I mean, I didn't. Is- I didn't watch Red Notice. It looked. I, I don't know. It looked not good. Uh, I wouldn't say it's good, but it's fun just seeing. It's worth it to watch, I think, for Ryan Reynolds and The Rock to banter. Yeah, it seemed to me like it was like if you fed an AI a bunch of like action movie scripts, it was like completely algorithmically generated. Yeah, I mean, kind of fair, but I would say I think you would at least find it fun. Yeah. But anyway, back to R.I.P.D. I had forgotten Mary Louise Parker was in this from when I watched it before. I did remember that Kevin Bacon was in this and was the bad guy. Uh, I think he plays a very good charismatic scumbag in this, which is not an easy like walk to pull off. Yeah, I mean, he plays a good scumbag Boston cop. <laughs> I, I, is that actually, where this is supposed to take place? Is this Boston? <laughs> It's Boston. Uh, they couldn't have picked a better mass hole unless they yeah. got uh, Matt Damon or <laughs> Ben Affleck. <laughs> yeah. um, Not a single person mentioned Dunkin' Donuts or said Haba, so I just I, I had no point of reference. Well, they, the only thing well, I mean, other I think they mentioned it somewhere, but they uh, they visited the Red Sox for one of the dead. Oh, videos. that's right. 
one thing I always feel bad about Kevin Bacon is I can never remember if it was him or well, it's not, it's not him. I know that right now, but him or is it Kevin Spacey who had the uh, the underage like allegations against him? Do you remember that? Who, who was? Oh him? yeah, that was Kevin Spacey. Yeah, he shows, feel, he shows up every Christmas Eve to remind us. Yeah, I feel I feel bad because I was like, oh, this is. I thought Kevin it was Kevin Bacon. I was like, oh wow, we'll get to watch one of these movies. So. Sorry, Kevin Bacon, you who will never listen to this. Did you have any uh, any scenes in this you particularly thought were fun or well done? Yeah, I mean, honestly, a big chunk of the humor comes from the fact that they are all like body swapped. Like they they don't look like themselves when they're back in the real world because they can't, you know, they're dead. They can't look like themselves, or they'd freak everybody out. Ryan Reynolds is essentially playing like an old Chinese man, and Jeff Bridges is like a blonde bombshell. So there are moments where he has to... It's its Jeff Bridges speaking, but he's like, don't objectify my body. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's very funny. I really enjoyed it. There's also a point where in like the final like run-up to that final battle, they're doing like a car chase scene, and Jeff Bridges just flips this guy off, this one ghost. He doesn't say anything. He just makes this face... And flips him the bird. I don't know why. It was one of the only scenes that I actually fully laughed out loud at. Yeah, there are two. I mean, there are actually three scenes in this that I thought were great and all involved bridges. But one of them was the line when he, when Kevin Spacey, who was still alive at this point, was visiting Ryan Reynolds' wife's house, and he's like, "Isn't that weird? Here's here." He's like, "Unless you guys have a pack to." scrub porn off of each other's laptops. He's like, I get that. That's classy, actually. <laughs> like, him just going on that rant I thought was great. Um, I mean, oh my god, there's so much, actually. Him just keep complaining about his body being eaten by a coyote while Ryan Reynolds is trying to mourn, like, over his own death. And he's like, you had it easy. I was eaten by a coyote. <laughs> and also, like, this, the one thing I, I actually thought was funny they pointed out was like, the entire Magic MacGuffin in this is, like, the Staff of Jericho. It's supposed to have the dead start raining down on the world. And Jeff Bridges, while he's getting in trouble from the higher elves, just goes on a rant about why would anyone create this? Why would they not do anything or anything like that? And then they just, like, send out a notice, and they're like, okay, you're getting under investigation for complaining about us. That was pretty good. I did enjoy the, why, why would anyone do this? And they said they, like, broke it into a thousand pieces, which, like, cool. I, I did like the idea that Kevin Bacon has spent however many years like combing over the world looking for all thousand pieces. I thought that was like funny, but also gold has a like famously low melting point. Just like fully destroy the thing. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> maybe it's ma- it has magical properties. I guess. Also, Kevin Bacon totally didn't need to kill Ryan Reynolds to get that gold piece. No. Like, Ryan Reynolds was just going to turn it into, like, the evidence locker, and they're, like, magical dead people. They could have gotten out of that that out pretty easily. Yeah. Uh, one thing I thought was, I actually kind of questioned this, and I, I think this might have contributed to why people didn't like it, was the dead seem to follow cartoon logic a little bit. Like, at one scene, one of, like, the monsters pulls off his arm in, like, a Looney Tunes-style way to get out of handcuffs, which I thought was funny, but also it made no sense. And then Ryan Reynolds beats him with it. Right. <laughs> and they, also- they, they also had a moment where the, the, the one ghost climbs up the side of a building just like it's the ground, and he's, like, jumping on the window, like gravity has now pointed sideways, so that's that's another kind of cartoon logic. Yeah, and a little bit that I didn't get was, at first... Like, Ryan Reynolds, Jeff Bridges, they're shown as something else because that's the universe's weird way of doing it, he said. But the Deados just appear as monsters. Yeah. Which yeah, it doesn't really sense. make sense. I also didn't fully understand Deados. Were they just someone who had died who fell through the cracks? Yeah, that's what Mary Louise Parker says something like, like too many people die every day. The system isn't meant to handle that, so like we miss people sometimes. Okay, I was a little bit confused with that. I actually really like the world of this and, and have thought about picking up the comics just to check them out. Um, because I, I do like... I, I like the... Uh, I like shows that do some version of the afterlife. Like, you know, The Good Place has like, oh, this is what it's like after you die or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then always like some form of weird 
bureaucracy. I like <laughs> stuff like that, and I, I don't think we get those too often. So I, I, I did really enjoy this, like the the idea of this one and the world building they have. I just didn't think some of the execution was on. Like another thing that I don't think worked was they had a couple fart jokes, which just seemed out of place in the movie. Yeah. Uh, but I guess maybe those were in the comics. It's just one of those that, that that part did not make sense. I also really liked Mike O'Malley, who plays like the Red Sox ghost. Oh there's, my god, I didn't like, even notice that was Mike O'Malley. Like there is just a guy. Jeff Bridges is like, yeah, like he's a deado, but like he does he doesn't do anything but go watch Red Sox games. So I just let him keep doing it. Man. Michael, I, like Michael Malley, knew him from guts. He was in My Name Is Earl and then R.I.P.D. I don't know what else he's done. <laughs> uh, so it's funny. Jeff Bridges did a Reddit AMA with this, and he said that he enjoyed making the movie and the cast and crew, but he attributed the failure to the studio interference. Uh, he said the suits just cut it against the grain, and he thinks they screwed it up. And he described the film as underwhelming, so I'm curious what this would have been like without studio interference. Like, is there actually an even better version of this somewhere? Yeah, we need to uh, uh, we need to release the Schwentke cut. Yeah, right. What was this originally? And it makes sense because this movie, from title to the start of credits, is under 90 minutes, <laughs> which is insane. I think the total movie is like nine like it might be 90 minutes total like this was a quick movie to watch which usually isn't a good sign if like there's like a sweet spot for movies i think and under 90 minutes is is like rough uh and the studio apparently knew this wouldn't do well they did not screen it in advance for critics oh wow which is crazy i I remember they they say that on an episode of uh how did this get made i think it was the lake placid episode they said what like, what's a warning sign that a movie is not going to be good? And they said, if it can't even make it to the 90-minute mark, that's a problem. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's true. Like, it, but it seems like they there was stuff that they could have had in here, but who, who knows? I'm really, there's not a lot of, like, information on this one that I, when I was looking it up, so I don't know what the actual behind-the-scenes on this is. Yeah. Well, listen, like, good on Jeff Bridges for, like, sticking to, like, yeah, I'm, I, I liked making this movie. Like, that's... He he's like a legend to the point where it's just kind of like, oh, the role like what's the role? Ah, alright, I'll do it. <laughs> I feel like he's he's like a pickier Nick Cage, right? Like you could put Jeff Bridges in anything right. and I think he will elevate it and I'll be like, I enjoyed this movie. I'm not gonna like every movie Nick Cage is in, but like he will do anything. I feel like Jeff Bridges is more willing to do weird stuff than most actors and then crushes it. Well, it's great that you say that, make that comparison, because Jeff Bridges is in a movie called The Seventh Son, and Nick Cage is in a movie called Season of the Witch, and I get them confused constantly. <laughs> I, I've i not seen Season of the Witch. I always get I get that confused with The Last Witch Hunter that I think has Ron Perlman in it. That's, uh, that's Vin Diesel. Oh, that's Vin Diesel. I think Ron Perlman's in it too, though. There's two he might be. The Last Witch Hunter is the one that Vin Diesel like wrote, uh, and it's like an adapted version of a D&D campaign that he ran once. Let's look it up because, well, there's The Last Witch Hunter 2 is coming. Oh, no. Maybe that I'm not thinking of The Last Witch Hunter then. Maybe I'm thinking of Season of the Witch with Nicolas Cage. I don't actually remember who started it. I remember the, the second and it was uh, Ron Perlman. It might actually be Season of the Witch because it's not that one. <laughs> it was just something I watched on Netflix. One, Yeah, Ron Perlman. Okay, never mind. I get Season of the Witch and The Last Witch Hunter messed up. Then. Well, if you haven't seen Seven Son with Jeff Bridges, it's a delight. I'll check it out. Uh, do you know who they originally had to play Jeff Bridges' characters who had to drop out? No. Zach Galifianakis. That would not have worked. Oh, this would have been 100% worse had Galifianakis been in that role. Yeah, that would not have worked. Although it makes sense, like, if this role was originally, like, written for him, it makes sense why that character had all, like, the humor. Yeah, I guess that's true, but I don't see him as, like, a cowboy. No. Christian, do you know how this movie fared at the box office? Not particularly well, uh, as we kind of already alluded to. 
The budget was between 130 and 154 million. The box office was only 78 million. So it's ooh, it may not have even made half of its money back. Like that's a big problem. Right. And I mean, critically, Rotten Tomatoes critic score has this at a 12% and the audience has this at a 38%, which I mean, I'm just going to jump into it. I think that is way low for an audience score. I guess I get the critic score on it, but that's I what think, I was going to say. I, I definitely get the critics giving this a 12%. This is a dumb movie. <laughs> right. But I think this is like a fun movie. Like, I think if you did not watch this and you like these sort of stupid movies, like, give this one a chance because it's like, this is not 12% bad. Like, no. we've watched way worse movies on this show. <laughs> Regularly. Like, yeah, like this is just a fun movie. I like I I I am surprised that it is so low. I feel like this was at a time when maybe Rotten Tomatoes was like they had they're more into better things. I have no idea. I'm surprised it's this low, honestly. Yeah, that's a soft number. I'd probably put it at least around 50 cuz it is objectively not good, but like it's still very entertaining. Right. I like I agree. If this was like in the 50s, even low 60s or high 40s, like in that range, I'd be like, "Okay, that I think that's fair because this is really driven by Jeff Bridges. Otherwise, it's just pretty generic. Like it's mm-hmm. I don't think it's like offensively bad like some of the movies. Not up, they're not that offensive, but you know, like they're just like they're not enjoyable to watch. Yeah, it's not I'm thinking of ending things. Yeah, it's it's not from what I understand old. Uh, what a film. Okay. Okay. Christian, would you recommend this one? I, you know, I think I would. You have to go into it with a grain of salt, you know, like, like we said, it's not great, but it's, it's good for a laugh. So as long as you're not looking for like an Academy Award winner, then yeah, I, I think people would enjoy this, especially if you like a movie like Men in Black, because that is basically what this is. All right, Christian, now for the game segment, you, we talked about this before, you had beaten Spider-Man for PlayStation 4 before, correct? Yeah, I had platinumed it a while back, um, but I hadn't 100%ed it since I had the DLCs, I had to finish a New Game Plus playthrough and a couple other things uh, that were in the DLC pack. Uh, But I finally did, I 100%ed the original Spider-Man for PS4, and... It was it was fun. I enjoyed it. New Game Plus was on ultimate difficulty. It was definitely uh, a bit more of a challenge, but I was not trying to like walk through everything again. I just needed to get to the end of the story, so I wasn't screwing with you know having to swing all over God's creation, waiting for like a crime to happen. So for the you were primarily trying to get the new game or uh, the ultimate playthrough trophy or the new game plus trophy. Or both. both. Yeah, that's okay. it's it's like complete a playthrough on Ultimate and New Game Plus. What carries over into New Game Plus? Pretty much everything. You you keep all your skills, you keep all your suits and gadgets, and uh, yeah, it's it's basically everything. You start right at the level that you were at, which I was at level, I guess it's fifty, and so you start getting. I think they're called superior levels, but you all it really does is increase like your fighting strength and stuff. Okay, I was going to say, I was, I was really curious if they added anything else with the DLCs to, so you could unlock more abilities or not. How uh, how was the ultimate difficulty? Did you find it, like, doable, challenging? What was the, what I guess, what was hard about it and what was not that bad? It, nothing was particularly, like, stood out as being like, oh, man, this is crazy bad. I think partially just because I had, like, maxed out everything in the original game, so I, I was going into the ultimate game with basically everything just to start. So it it really wasn't too, too bad from that standpoint. How was revisiting the story after uh, a while? Because you, you planned them this back in what, 2019, maybe going into 2020. Yeah, it was, it was probably summer 2020. It would have been during the pandemic uh, because I remember thinking that the plot of this is a like disease sweeping through New York city. So it was a little strange, uh, but it was it was good. You know, I, I really only jumped back into this because of the movie. It it kind of supercharged my you know my Spider Man desire. So I was like, 
You know, I never did finish that New Game Plus, and the Miles Morales game is out. I've been putting that off, so I wanted to finish all that, especially since uh, Horizon 2 is going to be coming out in about three weeks, and that's going to monopolize a, basically all of my video game time. <laughs> right. Uh, if you had to rank some Peter Parkers, where does uh, Spider-Man PS4's Peter Parker go for you? Ooh. No. Probably... Probably last, to be honest. But that's really? not to say that he's bad. It's just that I, I love all the movie versions so much. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, and you also started Miles Morales, which came out last... Well, let's say it came out, I think, October, November 2020. It was like one of the PlayStation 5... It was supposed to be like a PlayStation 5 launch title, but I think because they had shipping issues, they also ported it to PS4. So you picked up that one. How, how was that experience? It was good. You know, I think this one might actually be better than the original. Uh, Story-wise, combat-wise, everything, what do you mean by probably, that? Probably just mechanics-wise. I, I do really, really like the story in the, the original game probably more than I like the Miles Morales one. My uh, The Miles Morales story basically focuses on Roxxon energy and trying to like bring down a, like a corrupt corporate structure uh, and kind of the anarchist group that's also trying to bring them down parallel to spider-man but uh, they they kept almost every mechanic the same from the original game which i love because i you know i just spent like probably 30 hours finishing the new game plus for the first one so going right into miles was a real smooth transition almost everything was the same with the addition of miles's venom strike abilities that peter doesn't have but they revamped the crime system so that instead of just kind of swinging around waiting for something to happen your buddy develops an app for you and so you can like swipe on the controller to bring up crimes that are listed in the app and then you can just go deal with them you don't have to oh, wait that's nice yeah uh, so that was great you can like honestly as soon as the app gets developed right at the beginning you can go knock out all the crimes right away <laughs> <laughs> that is really nice uh, so, I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this. From what I've I've seen of Miles Morales, uh, so number one, Spider-Man was a pretty easy platinum, and the only hard part of it was the not hard part, time-consuming part was swinging around in the sectors, waiting for crimes to happen, and then completing them. At, le at least I thought if you had a 100% it, then you had to do the ultimate difficulty and replay it. But the platinum itself, you only had to play once. It seems like the hardest trophy for Miles Morales is just having to replay the game an entirely second time on New Game Plus. Has that been your experience, or did you have issues with other things? Well, I'm about halfway through my New Game Plus playthrough now, and it's it's not bad. You don't have to play it on the higher difficulty, so I put it on a lower one just to go faster. Right. So I, I, I went into like the second easiest difficulty with every ability, and I'm just kind of cruising. I think the hardest one that I'm going to have is there's a Platinum for getting or there's a, a trophy for getting a 100-hit combo without taking damage. Hmm. Do they have, like, a challenge mode or anything like that that you could get that in, or is that you have to get that in-game? So there's it's similar to the other game where there's, like, enemy bases you can infiltrate, and there's just a ton of guys in there that they'll throw at you. But it's... I mean, there was a base in the first game where one of, like, the stretch goals was to get a 60... Uh, Oh, hit wow. combo and the 60 hit was hard for me like that was really tough and i almost just said screw it i'm not going to get the stretch goal for this one but i finally got it and so now the, like 40 more on top of that so i don't know i've been practicing with every crime that i've been like going through trying not to get hit but it's going to be tough yeah i did i guess I, yeah the it sounds like a challenge the only reason i haven't done miles morales yet is that i don't like replaying games for mm -hmm. like a trophy so i've been like uh it's on my it's on my i'm going to be i'm going to finish medieval and then that's my next game after that to platinum because spider-man also has got the movie far from home has got me back into wanting to play spider-man yeah i think if if this game wasn't such like a joy to play like if if the mechanics weren't so smooth and nice i would have also had that kind of same reaction but Honestly, I finished the story and I just went right to the menu and opened up New Game Plus and started going. I, I just went right right back into it again. 
Roughly how long did the game to take you to beat for like the story? Uh maybe like 15 20 hours. It's not a super long game. There's way less like side missions and stuff and collectibles to get than there was in that first game. Okay, nice. Um, this really does feel like kind of a 1.5. So, two questions then. Would you recommend doing Spider-Man, the original Spider-Man PlayStation 4 game on Ultimate slash New Game Plus difficulty, and would you recommend Miles Morales? Yeah, I mean, if, if you've got the DLCs and you want that 100%, it's really not too bad if, if you go into the New Game Plus with everything. And as for Miles, absolutely. This is a great game. If you like the first game, there's no reason you won't like the second. His, like, Venom power-ups are awesome. He's, it makes fighting... It, it, like I said, they kept all of the mechanics from the first game while introducing something new and exciting to like keep it fresh, and I think it, it all really works well together. Alright, now in some book news, we got some information actually on ebooks and print book sales that I found pretty interesting. Christian, do you read ebooks at all? Comes and goes. I have a few that I've downloaded that I keep revisiting here and there, but it, I, I mean, I don't read nearly as much as I should just in general. But I typically tend to do more print than ebook. I'm the same way, but I've slowly been transitioning to reading more ebooks because of it's the OverDrive app, and I guess associated with OverDrive is like it's an app called Libby. I haven't used it, but this is the way that you can rent ebooks from libraries. And so libraries hit a new record in 2021 where I think it's 119 libraries had lent over 1 million, had hit the uh, 1 million like digital landmark. So they had lent out over a million digital copies of books in some way, which seems pretty crazy. I think that in 2020 it was around uh, 100, somewhere around there. So mm. it was a it was about a 16% increase over 2020, which I have to imagine is only going to keep happening. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty cool. Maybe they'll uh, start uh, doing library NFTs. Yeah, that's <laughs> how we fund <laughs> the public libraries. Did you see? I, I think you did see it because I saw you posted on This is also kind of book news. I saw you posted it on Twitter. Is this uh, the Dune some, thing? Yeah, some guys like bought a copy or like a screenplay of Dune and then thought they own like the intellectual like content rights to it. Yeah, they spent like two point three million dollars or something on on a book because they thought they were buying the the rights to the book. Yeah, pretty uh, <laughs> pretty dumb. Also, I saw one of their goals was like we're going to try and make it available for everyone, and it's like there's someone already scanned it, so it's available digitally. <laughs> like, and I think the other like copy of it had sold for like four thousand dollars. Like some like they went like rid like comically over. <laughs> yeah, like it it was something that it was a rare book, but yeah, not like millions of dollars rare. Right, like who was even in that bidding war with them? <laughs> They probably went in and dropped that thinking somebody was going to try to one-up them and they were like, nah, sold, we're, we're in. Right, like I don't understand that process where you're like, next closest bid, four grand, yeah, let's go two million. <laughs> oh boy, so I, w- I want to name some of the popular ebooks though because I don't know if I've heard of any of these, which makes me, I've heard of one, that's a lot, but every other one, not really. So... I'm I'm not plugged into the book scene like I am the game scene. So the mo- most popular ebooks borrowed from libraries in 2021. One was The Four Winds by Kurt- Kristen Hanna. Two was The Midnight Library by Matt Haig. Three was The Vanishing Half by Brett Bennett. Uh, four was The Guest List by Lucy Foley, and five was Nomadland by Jessica Bruder. Well, I know the movie based on the last one. Okay, that one sounded kind of familiar. I thought it was like a Netflix show or something, but so was a yeah, movie. that that was either it won the Academy Award or Frances McDormand won the Academy Award for being in it last year. Okay, and then the most popular audiobooks were A Promised Land by Barack Obama, so I'd had heard of that one. <laughs> Where the Crawdads Sing by Delia Owens, Cold Morning by Brenda Chapman, The Four Winds by Kristen Hanna, and Green Lights by Matthew McConaughey, which. Again, I know who he is, but I don't know who. Uh, know. Where Where the Crawdads Sing, I think, is also getting a movie adaptation with Reese Witherspoon this summer. 
And I only know that because our movie theater has something on the preview reel where they do interviews with people, and I think they interviewed her about that. They also list the five most popular magazines. Do you want to take a take a guess at what those are, or at least one of them? Teen Vogue. Teen Vogue is not on the top five list. I was actually a little bit surprised by the list, but I guess it kind of makes sense. Yeah, I don't uh, even have I don't even have a wager of a guess. Number one was Us Weekly. Number two, The Economist. Number three, The New Yorker. Four, Hello, and then five, HGTV magazine. <laughs> And then in print book news, uh, sales of print books rose 9% in 2021 over 2020 numbers, which is kind of crazy because I swear, either I talked to you off the episode or I talked to you on this episode, uh, there is something going on with books where everyone was predicting like printing would decrease drastically just because paper stock was out or printing costs were up or something like that. Do you remember that? Yeah, I remember... uh reading an article a few years ago about how there was like a paper shortage. Yeah. Well, I, so I, I was a little bit surprised by that because print sales seem to be pretty healthy. Yeah. I'm surprised it's still going up because people aren't quarantined anymore. I would have thought that 2020 would have been like a peak for people buying books since they had nothing else to do. The, so you can find the, the information on this on publishers weekly, but one thing that stood out to me is they, they talk about like which genres really, groove between 2020 and 2021 uh what really surprised me was in adult fiction the graphic novel genre rose 109.3 percent nice uh which is cool i think a lot of people maybe checked out graphic novels or comics for the first time during quarantine and maybe they just stuck with that habit i certainly contributed to that i (laughs) i have now a membership and a subscription to the comic book shop in the school in the in the town where i go to school so yeah, I, I've always liked comics and graphic novels and stuff, but it, I also sort of got more back into it last year. Unrelated to the pandemic, I think. I think I just started reading DC stuff, but I also bought a couple graphic novels that I had been meaning to read for a while. And I don't know, it's like a, a medium that for a while I don't think was taken serious by the mainstream, and it seems to be now more people are jumping into it. I think for me... It, it came with, like, the sudden realization that comics aren't just Marvel and DC. Like, yeah. I remember seeing a TikTok that was like, oh, you should check out, like, these indie horror comics. And that's where I, I first found out about Something is Killing the Children and a couple others. And so I was like, oh, like, this is a medium outside of just, like, Batman and Iron Man. Because, I, I mean, I get enough of that in, like, my like uh, video media. I don't need it <laughs> in print as well. I think for me was like, you know, so growing up like where I did, they're, they're like you couldn't really get graphic novels unless you went up to like a larger city that either had a comic book shop or uh, one of like the big Barnes and Nobles or something that actually had like a comic section. Um, like the bookstores around me didn't. So the only way like I could read comics was whatever the library had, which they had a shelf and I read most of this stuff on it. And there's some really good stuff they had there. They had blankets, which was one of my favorite graphic novels for a really long time. Um, or else you had to read stuff online, uh, which is why I was really into web comics in the mid two thousands. And also why I really got into manga because you could read fan translations of manga for free. Uh, so that's like, I think what really got me into it. But recently what has drawn me more into it is kind of like you said, graphic novel. I, I like reading things that are collected. So I didn't love reading single issue stuff. Um, so graphic, I like graphic novels because they're basically one story unless you're getting in on the bus of, of a collection of stuff, but also just the money factor. Like, I don't know, they're kind of expensive and I've now, like I never got into buying them when I was younger. And now I'm just realizing like, Oh, like I can actually afford to buy these now <laughs> instead of, you know, it doesn't feel like as much of a waste of money. <laughs> Um, also, I want to point out fantasy still rising, forty five point three percent increase in sales. Which uh, I'm not surprised. I mean, I think fantasy has to be one of the largest sections of adult fiction at this point. Like everyone seems to like the fantasy stuff. And now just real quick, a couple uh, events in television news this week. First, Bob Saget died this week, which I think was a surprise to everyone because it wasn't announced that he was sick 
Or at least I guess I was not aware that he was sick. No, and I'm I'm still not entirely sure what even happened. I didn't really follow it that closely. I really only knew him from How I Met Your Mother as a voice. I I didn't ever watch like Full House or anything when I was younger. Yeah, I knew him from Full House just because that was on a fair bit of my family's house. My sister really liked it. Uh, I knew him, like you said, from How I Met Your Mother. And the thing I remember him most for, there was, I don't know if, I get a release in the mid-2000s called, I think, The Aristocats. Or no, sorry, The Aristocrats, not, <laughs> not the Disney movie. Um, that was just like this behind-the-scene, not a behind-the-scene, but there was apparently a, like a, an in-joke with comedians at, in, I guess, the 90s where you would just tell like the grossest story ever and then or like obscene you would try and offend and then the ending like the punchline would be they're called the the aristocrats and the only thing I, I really remember from that was people being like oh bob saget told like one of the dirtiest versions of that joke ever and everyone only knows him as danny tanner in casting news which i'm actually pretty interested uh to see how this goes the Batgirl is Batgirl is getting a TV show on HBO Max, and they announced some of the cast, which is kind of crazy. So they have Leslie Grace playing Batgirl, and then they're bringing J.K. Simmons back as Commissioner Gordon, and Michael Keaton in as Batman, which crazy. And then Brendan Fraser is going to play Firefly, who's who's one of the villains. Hmm. Is J.K. Simmons I, Commissioner Gordon in which one? In the Rob Pattinson one? No, uh, J.K. Simmons, I believe, I'm pretty sure, is the commissioner in Justice League and oh, uh, or Batman vs Superman and stuff. Yeah, 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 you're right. I was surprised because is this supposed to like? It's it's odd to me because like I feel like the DC universe does not care about continuity. They're like, yeah, this is J.K. Simmons, but also we're getting Michael Keaton as Batman. <laughs> yeah, they fully just do not care at all. I mean, they have their own version. They have another version of Batman in the Teen Titans series, so they're just there's no continuity there, which I kind of get, but also it's I think it's con probably confusing now because everyone knows what Marvel's doing. Yeah. And also, this is a bit of annoying news. Netflix is getting a price increase. They're going to be fifteen dollars a month for their or fifteen fifty a month for their base package, which uh, or I guess base HD package. You can still get standard def or maybe a little bit cheaper, but uh, this annoys me so much because i barely watch netflix and my wife wants to keep it so that's the only reason we have it but we i watch like i watch netflix maybe once a month at this point yeah it's strange i think it's just kind of force of habit like netflix is still the first thing i open when i'm going to look for something to watch but i oftentimes do find myself like meandering onto a different app like i'm in my buffy rewatch now and that's on prime or i'm watching something else on hbo max that i'll talk about in a, a little bit but yeah, I think just from like in years of inertia, it, uh, Netflix is the first thing that I open when I am like prowling for media. I mean, Netflix used to be such a great deal because they had basically every television show that is on four different apps now, and they used <laughs> to be under ten dollars. Yeah, like it was in it was like eight bucks. Cord cutting made so much sense, but now that you have every other app, like everything's getting cut up. The, the prime selling point of Netflix has been their Netflix originals, which I just don't care about most of them. Yeah. Like, I like The Witcher. I like Queer Eye for the Straight Guy, like that reboot. But like their movies and stuff, like I, I don't know any that I've sat down and been like, oh man, this was amazing. Like I liked Red Notice, but I don't think it's an amazing movie. I've seen a few Netflix original movies I really liked. I thought The Harder They Fall was excellent with Idris Elba and Jonathan Majors. I, I really loved that. Um, but I, I don't know. I like a lot of their original series, Outer Banks. Obviously I'm a real sucker for <laughs> Outer Banks. <laughs> They've got warrior nun season two coming out this summer. Fingers crossed, hopefully. So like, yeah, there's, there's a couple of things on there that I'm like very dedicated and loyal to. So I'll probably just stay with Netflix forever, but <laughs> unless they come out one day and they're like, Oh, we lost. 80% of our media, and also we're charging you $30 a month now. I think it's going to get to a point, though, where these companies keep charging more, and I think you're going to see more and more people dropping ones they don't use. Like, right now, I think I use Hulu the most, followed by HBO Max. Yeah. I had talked with a friend of mine a while back about how this is a... We're, like, in the beginnings of a bubble now, where 
people saw how successful Netflix was and now they all want their own version of it. But at mm-hmm. a certain point it becomes unsustainable to right, like every network to have their own streaming service. So eventually I feel like they're going to have to collapse back down to like three or four big ones again. Cause no, yeah. Otherwise like you're just paying for cable. You're just paying it to 15 different companies instead of like Comcast. It's just the same price. Yeah. Uh, so for me in television, I am in the middle of my, well, not even the middle yet. I just finished season one of my Buffy rewatch. I feel like the master is the, probably the weakest big bad that she had, the season one bad guy. She kicked him through a window and you know, the fight lasts like five minutes tops. There's this whole season wide build up to if this guy, if this guy makes it to the surface, the world's over and he makes it to the surface and she just kills him immediately. And nothing, gotta, nothing really happened. <laughs> I gotta ask, I gotta ask Christian because I watch like, have, so have you ever watched the? Have you seen the Buffy movie yet? The original with, uh, uh, no Michelle. Okay, no, I have never. Everyone, I think you should watch it at some point just because I'm curious, like if there is any overlap with this TV show. I should. I think um, there is not. I think the first episode and like a lot of things in the first season they talk about. Oh. You moved here from Los Angeles after you got kicked out of your old school for like burning the gymnasium down. But I think that's really yeah. it. I think that's <laughs> that's supposed to be like a shout out to the movie, and that's going to be all of it. Gotcha. I because I try like I like the movie, and I tried to watch season one of Buffy, and I could not handle it. So you so you are enjoying the rewatch? Yeah, I mean, Buffy's an old favorite of mine. Like I I watched it when it was airing with my mom like years and years and years and years ago, and. It, there's granted a lot of nostalgia wrapped up in it, and even when I watched it a couple years back, a lot of the CG doesn't hold up. I know the, the werewolves just look like people in dog suits, so a lot of it's not great. It's uh, maybe a couple tiers below R.I.P.D. because it's it's a lot of practical <laughs> it's a lot of practical effects, and they just didn't have the budget for convincing practical effects. How uh, is is Buffy the one that I'm, I can't remember this or where like every weeknight these kids go to a random bar and party? Yeah, that's the bronze. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's it's real strange. I never thought much about it at the time, but yeah, looking back, it is strange that everybody in Sunnydale has like a nightclub that they go to and they're like sixteen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's also what got like if, i feel like if you're watching when you're younger like yeah this is what high schoolers do they go to clubs and then it's just like where are clubs in most towns oh my god i know that's why i, I feel like i'm afraid to watch euphoria because i'm gonna be like is this what high school is now <laughs> oh, are you watching anything else uh yeah so i'm halfway through the hbo series station 11 and it is good on a level that i have not seen in a long time is this a serious show, comedy show? What is this? It's very serious. So it is a... I'm not even sure how many episodes it is. I think it's 10. But it is a limited series about a super flu that basically destroys the world. Or like ah. brings about the end of society. <laughs> very, very topical. Yeah. Uh, is this a new show, or is it has it been around for a while? It came out in the middle of December. I think December 16th is when it aired. Okay. And so it, it is fairly new. It's based on either a novel or a graphic novel. I can't remember which. But it is... It's so good. It's so well-written, well-shot, well-acted. It has Mackenzie Davis as, like, our lead, and then our co-lead is uh, Hamish Patel, who was in the movie Yesterday, which is about... Like, what if nobody could remember the Beatles but him? Mm, okay. Which I liked, and I liked him in that. And he's great in this, but the the first episodes all feature kind of a different character going through the basically the end of the world. And so it's like the last day is leading up to it. And it's just eerie. It, it kind of puts you on edge. There's people in the background talking about like, oh, have you heard about this new bug going around? Yada, yada. And then he gets a phone call from his sister that's basically like, you need to get somewhere, get all the food you can for weeks and stay there as long as you can because like this isn't going to end. I like it was tempted to watch this when you're like, it's really good. It's like an HBO 11 series, but I don't think I can handle like a disaster <laughs> pandemic movie. It's too close to home. Yeah, so I, I had this conversation a while back. Uh, right at the start of the pandemic and I had it again the other night there is 
kind of two personality types and it's like confrontational and avoidant and so if you're going through something traumatic a, like a confrontational person is going to consume media related to that and an avoidant person is going to try to escape it and so right at the start of the pandemic man we watched i mean we watched outbreak for this podcast and then i watched yeah. andromeda strain i watched contagion i reread world war z it was very like i'm just gonna consume as much of this media as i possibly can and so yeah i mean if if we ever get out of this fingers crossed i would really 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 strongly recommend station 11 unless they really screw up the end which from what i've read they do not they i think they're gonna stick the landing pretty hard but this is a a masterwork i haven't seen a show constructed like this ever and i haven't had a show that that has really like hooked me and pulled me in this quickly in a really long time well nice um it's a lot of non-linear storytelling and it's not just like long flashbacks you get flashbacks that last like seconds thanks for listening guys if you'd like to contact us we are at gambots network on twitter or you can email us at gambots.blog at gmail.com also we have a website now if you want to check that out that's gambotsnetwork.com and finally if you're listening to somewhere where you can rate and subscribe we'd appreciate it as that does help with marketing Thanks for tuning in, guys. Thank you.